Be sure to friend us on Facebook. You can do it right now. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for us at keyword Voice America. The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaBusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. You are a visionary. You have a vision. You just need to create it and bring it to life. Welcome to Visionary Leader Extraordinary Life with your host, Kate Ebner. Our program will be an hour of inspiration from leaders who are making their visions happen and will set you on the path to having a big impact through your leadership and the life you really want. Now here's your host, Kate Ebner. Good morning and welcome to Visionary Leader Extraordinary Life. Each week, I like to bring you visionary thinkers, leaders, and doers who are at the cutting edge of their fields. Our intention is to inspire you to be visionary in your own life, and I'm so glad that you join me for these weekly conversations. You know, if you'd like even more inspiration, resources, and information about your favorite guests or about this, the topic of leadership or vision, please be sure to sign up for our Visionary Leader newsletter at nebocompany.com. Today, I'm looking forward to discussing two topics that are essential for leadership um, that makes a difference, particularly visionary leadership, and those are presence and mindfulness. I'm fortunate to be joined by an expert on these subjects, author, speaker, and leadership coach Doug Silsby. As a coach, consultant, and coach trainer, Doug has deep experience helping his clients build leadership presence, resilience, and the capacity for fulfillment and contribution. Doug is the author of two wonderful books, Presence-Based Coaching and The Mindful Coach. He's a certified master somatic coach and has taught at various executive education institutions. His company is called Presence-Based Leadership Development, and he's joining me today out of Asheville, North Carolina. Doug, welcome to the program. Thanks, Kate. Good morning. It's uh, nice to have the opportunity to chat here. Yes, it certainly is. And, um, you know, Doug, you are someone who has um, quite a, a deep and, and broad background um, as, as a leadership coach and as a coach educator. And I know that some of our listeners probably are not coaches, but I feel like today might be a really good chance for them to get um, some of the, the insight and wisdom that um, someone with your background and with your lens on the world can really offer. So I'm hoping for those who aren't coaches that you'll stay tuned so that you can really understand the power of the ideas that Doug is bringing to all of us. Um, Doug, I wanted to just start out. Let me just add like a, a quick frame on yeah. that. And we could, we could look at um, uh, coaching as a particular kind of conversation that we have, but it's embedded in this larger context of leadership and both leadership uh, and as a leading in an organization, but also leading our own lives. And, um, so, so I think that when we talk about presence and mindfulness, that we talk about those as a leadership capacity and we can talk about coaching conversations as producing that, but it's really two sides of the same coin. So. 
Yeah, that's a great distinction, and, and I'm glad you said that. And, you know, increasingly, Doug, I'm having conversations with people who are starting to really see that um, coaching is leadership, and leadership mm-hmm. is coaching. <laughs> I think mm-hmm. that's really what what you're pointing out. Um, so, I'd love to start off by asking you to tell me why and how you came to focus on presence as the cornerstone of your leadership development practice. You know. I don't think anybody's ever asked me that before. And so anytime we get asked a question that we've uh, never been asked before, there's uh, an opportunity to discover something. So I'm I'm hoping that what I say, whatever I say, will surprise both of us. Um, (laughs) Great. (laughs) So, so Kate, uh, one thing I would say to start off is that I've always been an explorer and that um, that exploration has taken place and, and... uh, sort of externally directed ways like um, um, business and outdoor adventures and travel and so forth, and inwardly directed ways, uh, spirituality and um, meditation and reflection and study and so forth. And um, both of those seem to be things that enliven me. And um, so, uh, so presence has emerged as a theme because it's the state in which I experience the greatest aliveness for myself in my own process, and also the state that when it happens in a coaching conversation or um, a team-building intervention or an organization development conversation, that when we become present with each other, that there seems to be much greater capacity for um, doing something that's new and original, whether it be an original thought, an original idea, a creative solution to a problem that's been nagging us for for a while, um, it seems like presence is a state, um, A, that we can cultivate, that we can learn to access with intentionality, and B, a state in which we are maximally resourceful and creative and resilient. Um, so... Uh, I don't think I set out thinking, well, presence is going to be the thing. I just think it kind of emerged from this um, loosey-goosey process of, of discovery as being uh, really a place of uh, maximum leverage for a lot of things that we care deeply about. You know, you said when you were um, beginning your answer, Doug, that you've always been an explorer, and then you went on to say that um, that when we're present we can often make new discoveries. Um, and I'm wondering if, if there's a link between those two ideas, that the part of you that's an explorer, um, not just in the world, but within yourself, has discovered that presence is a way of being wide awake to possibilities that are right here. It is a place of being wide awake. And I, th- I think I, I also have... The view, and this is actually substantiated by a lot of uh, neuroscience research, that, that in fact we're on autopilot most of the time. Even when we think we're making choices, those choices are constrained by um, our habits, our, our the structures of interpretation, um, the beliefs that we have come to embody about the world. All of those constrain what we are literally able to see in the world. And uh, they also constrain what we're able to imagine about the world or about our courses of action. And so, in fact, our operating space is much, much narrower narrower than we would like to think. And so um, 
presence, one useful framework for thinking about presence is that it's, in fact, little more than the absence of habit, little more than the absence of conditioning. And in that absence, there's greater uh, neutrality, greater space, greater um, the greater possibility that maybe quite by accident we're actually going to access something that's truly original or new or unpracticed. You know, what it reminds me of is, um, I don't know if you've ever been, you know, in a line or something where somebody is holding a very young baby, an infant, and mm-hmm. that baby is looking out with bright eyes and mm-hmm. probably very little expression, but just taking everything in without judgment, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. That, off, that to me is, sometimes is a, such a great image of being present when you're just wide awake without a lot yeah. of bias. Yeah. Have you ever <laughs> noticed that uh, you, you're walking to an airport and you're in a hurry to get somewhere and you're going to catch your plane and everybody else is in a hurry to get somewhere too? And then there'll be a, a, some little pocket of a family waiting at a gate somewhere and the kids are just playing and running around and having a great time. And -hmm. they're not somewhere else. They're just right there. They're in this moment. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's sort of trite to say this, Kate, but this moment is the only one we get. And yet what preoccupies us most of the time is uh, using experiences of the past to predict and control and manage the future to work out the way we want it to work out. But when we, when we do that, we sort of miss the potential from being um, in this moment. Yes, I think about this a lot, Doug, actually, in my own life and in my own work. I think about, I think about the past, the present, and the future and the way that... Um, the way that we spend our time, you know, spending our time focusing on things that have already happened versus focusing on things that we are envisioning. And, of course, my work's a lot about the future and, and bringing it into being. So the future has um, great seduction for us and also mm-hmm. some real pitfalls for us mm-hmm. uh, yet if we spend too much time there. And, and then I think then there's, then there's the present, and we tend to kind of zoom zoom from past right through present and into the future, um, uh, as you said, on autopilot uh, around what, where, what the actual moment contains for us. Um, yeah. This, uh, something I, I might uh, throw in here is that um, neuroscience talk about the distinction between top, the top-down stream of information and the bottom-up stream, the top-down flow and bottom-up flow. And the top-down is all the stuff that's rooted in our conditioning, our learning. And um, so stories about the past, uh, pictures of the future, um, uh, trying to produce a particular identity or manage people's assessments of us, all of that is uh, top-down generated. And bottom-up is uh simply the present moment experience without our interpretation or commentary or wondering what the implications are. And most of the time in what we would call normal awareness, top-down predominates. And you can think of an example of this, of going through your stack of email in the morning. And my experience of that is that it's pretty relentless and I've got to get back to this person. And if I don't deal with this, it's going to come back to bite me. And, And I can feel myself getting tighter just talking about that experience, even though I'm not looking at my email right now. And that's all top down. And then bottom up is simply the experience of being right here, right now, and uh, feeling my hands on the desk, 
the warmth on the back of my hands, the settling down um, into my chair and into my feet. It's present moment sensation without that commentary. And so, um, so we like to talk about uh, when, when we are in action, presence in action, is being aware that both of these streams are present and being able to modulate them so that we actually are controlling the volume on each of these streams. We turn down the volume on the top-down stuff, and we turn up the volume on the bottom-up. And the result is that we can be in action, in meetings, doing whatever we're doing, but we are consciously choosing how we organize our attention in the middle of that. You know, I like how you described that, the metaphor of turning the volume down um, on the the top down and turning it up on our own awareness of what's happening and and the choices we can make uh, in the moment about how we direct our attention and our energy. And I think what I like about that is the idea of both things happening at once, you know, and I, I don't hear people talk about that too much, but it's true. We're, we're living an inner life and an, an outer life simultaneously. And if we're caught up in reactivity, just reacting to what's around us, it's, um, we, we can really, um, we can get far afield from, you know, the, the most potential that we have to bring. Yeah. You know, I, I imagine you hear sometimes, um, I do, from clients that are new to somatic practices or reflection practices or attention training practices that uh, something like, I don't have time for that. I've got, I've got to get stuff done. And I understand that because I have to get stuff done also. But the, I think the issue with that is that the, the narrative that I have to get stuff done um, basically justifies us hanging out in this top-down flow all the time and saying, that's the only thing that's important. I can't do anything else. And in fact, then, our life is happening to us. We're not making choices about what we pay attention to. And the, the constant flux of emails and requests and phone calls and meetings is what ma- is managing our attention. It's all directed by external events and trying to uh, stay above the, uh, the, the, the torrent of those. Yeah. And a reflective practice or a somatic practice is the opposite. It's bringing our attention into the bottom-up flow. And it's not that we're going to hang out there 24 hours a day, but we have to remember that we're a choice. And so these kinds of practices, in fact, train us to use the volume controls. And then we can be in action, but we can be in an action in a way that's effective and titrated and... um, uh, and open to new possibilities and open to what's arising in this moment as opposed to driven by this constant torrent of external stimuli, which I think is very problematic. Yeah, yeah. Thank you, Doug. You know, we're going to take a break right now. When we come back, I'd really like to talk a little bit more about um, this exact point that you just made. So we'll be back in just a moment. This is Kate Ebner. You're listening to Visionary Leader Extraordinary Life. America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Do you want to take your organization to the next level? The Nebo Company develops leaders, teams, and organizations to achieve their highest potential. 
We provide executive and team coaching, leadership courses, mentor programs, and retreats tailored to the unique goals of your organization's leaders. With national reach, Nebo specializes in helping senior leaders to articulate a compelling vision, then develop the strategy, goals, and accountabilities that make the vision real. For more information, visit NeboCompany.com. Be sure to ask about our leadership and life curriculum. Again, that's NeboCompany.com. Tune in every week for the Ellis Martin Report. Our program will bring you the news and information that you need each week. We look at publicly traded small and mid-cap companies from a variety of sectors. We'll talk to key people in the industry to bring you the foreground and background of new and up-and-comers for potential investment. Please remember, invest only at your own risk. The Ellis Martin Report is meant for information purposes only. Tune in every Monday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Business. Leadership is a vital skill set in today's competitive global economy. Being a leader is not enough. To succeed, you must optimize your performance and know how to imbue others in your organization with leadership skills. Practical, actionable leadership insights are the focus of Leadership Development News, hosted each Monday at 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern, by Kathy Greenberg and Relly Nadler on the Voice America Business Channel. Doctors Greenberg and Nadler, who coach global leaders on how to be most effective, will share their insights and contacts. The path to leadership excellence begins here. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Visionary Leader Extraordinary Life with host Kate Ebner. We'd love to hear from you. Pick up your phone and call into 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. If you'd rather send an email, please send it to visionaryleader at nebocompany.com. Now, back to today's program. Welcome back. This is Kate. My guest today is Doug Silsby, the author of Presence-Based Coaching and The Mindful Coach. Um, he is with me on the show this morning, and we're talking about um, presence to get started in a, in a conversation that's um, about the, the importance of presence in leadership and in life. And Doug, I think you just really did a great job in the last segment of, of helping us understand what presence is and maybe the difference, as we kind of got to the break, the difference between um someone who's aware of their somatic presence and the possibilities, the, the awarenesses that it can offer, and somebody who's really um, reacting to all those external things coming at us all the time and who feels pulled or pushed by the outside world. And so I want to start right there again. And you mentioned a phrase, you talked about your somatic presence as, as almost a home base. Could you say more about what somatic presence is for those who may not be familiar yeah, it's, so uh, somatics is a uh, term that's becoming increasingly used. Uh, Richard Strozzi Heckler is one of the people that's really um, brought that into the leadership realm in a really uh, integrative kind of way. But the term has been around for quite a while. In fact, the, the soma goes back to the Greek meaning the body in its wholeness. And um, we use it to, to describe any sort of practice or activity in which we're including the entirety of the body, our body, our mind, our spirit, our emotions, our cognitive activity, sensation, including all of this in our um, field of awareness. And I think what's new and different about somatics is that uh, 
that we are saying that that paying attention to sensation or to the life of the body is actually of uh, critical importance. Um, traditionally, in the business world, we valued objectivity and analysis, and um, the assumption was we check our emotions at the door, and then emotions have become more acceptable. As Daniel Goldman has popularized emotional intelligence, and there's actually a a significant body of research that says emotional intelligence is a better predictor of leadership success than IQ. Um, so now we can we can bring um, we can bring emotions into the workplace, but not bodies. And uh, as as somatics becomes more mainstream, which uh, it is, and I predict will continue to be, I think we'll start to see that. Um, edifice of conservatism crumble as well, and we'll actually find more and more room for the life of the body. And so from a pragmatic sense, when we bring our attention to sensation, to and um, we, we, we can do this in just a minute as a practice, if, you, if you'd like, Kate. Sure. When we bring our attention to sensation, actually sensation is the most direct access to this bottom-up stream that we have. And so in a, in a, the, the first step towards building what we might call somatic literacy or somatic presence is to cultivate awareness of sensation. So yes. is, that, is that okay if we play with that for just a minute here? Yeah, and I just, before we do that, I just want to, again, you know, because you're giving us such great um insider new new distinctions i'm sure for some of our listeners you know that i want to just sort of say that what i'm what i'm really hearing you you describe is that um somatics really means um this mind body awareness and the wisdom of the body what the body has to offer us um as a source of information um guidance and um even navigation of the self, and and so you know, as we're talking about somatic presence, it's it, it's really about um, being in your body and actually f- being fully attuned to the physical aspect of yourself um, versus as so often happens to us in the workplace, getting really up in our heads where we're just all about the thinking and we're all about the doing, but we forget that there's a a physical self that offers us uh, an enormous resource. And so yeah. I just want to, I want to just say a little bit more about there because I think this is such an important um, awareness for people to have. And, you know, Doug, I think you're absolutely right. And, uh, you know, the, it used to be everything needed to be um, theoretical. We, we would come in and, and teach mm-hmm. leadership from a theoretical perspective. Slowly, emotional intelligence is starting to creep in and we're starting to be able to talk to leaders and teach leaders about um, emotions. And now, body, right, the, uh, the third, a third element of the human experience is, yeah. is being understood in this context of leadership. Yeah, that's great. And, and you know, there's a theory of uh, serving in tennis also. So uh, so we could study the theory of body mechanics and ball speed and where you hit the ball on the court, but nobody ever won Wimbledon by uh, reading books about serving tennis balls. They, they won Wimbledon because they went out with buckets and buckets and buckets of tennis balls and they practiced serving for years and they got it in their body. And I, I think the same thing is true about leadership that we can get constructs and models and ideas about leadership, which are germane and relevant and useful and empirically based. That said, it takes putting it into practice and practicing it over and over again before we can um, uh, really be fluent as leaders. 
and um, we could have a whole conversation that might be beyond um, today's today's exchange, so, yeah. but about this the nature of embodiment and and how the nervous system actually encodes learning, and then how do we loosen the grip of that um, habituated learning so that we can actually engage in a new behavior? I, I think I the that. mistake we make in leadership training is you know we give people. Uh, 150 pages of 360-degree feedback about all the behaviors they should change. but um, And we talk to them about what those new behaviors would sh- should look like, but what we haven't invested in is the meta-competency underneath that, the meta-competency of presence that means they can actually recognize before they indulge in a behavior that they're about to do that, that they can be present with themselves at the level of their urges, which are fundamentally somatic. They can sense that they are about to interrupt in this meeting. They can feel the attachment to saying what they want to say, and they can stop themselves before <laughs> it translates into behavior. How about <laughs> and, that? <laughs> that is so wonderful. That, yeah, all that data is great, but unless they've got that meta-competency, then behavior change becomes very difficult because you're just trying to, it's like trying to drive a car that's running on one cylinder. You know, the, the human organism does not run on cognition alone. It runs on uh, spirit. It runs on uh, a sensation. It runs on emotions. It runs on cognition. It runs on relational intelligence. It runs on purpose. All of those coupled together make a full organism that is effective and complete and much more capable than um, if we leave any of those pieces out. So as we talk about presence, Doug, it sounds like really what we're saying is is that by being aware of all of those aspects of being human, by being present, you can actually access far more of yourself um, for the purposes that you choose in, in, the, in the moment. And I want to go back to, to the word sensation that you used a few minutes ago, and you were describing that sensation is is information sensation mm-hmm. is is a way our body is taking in information and you know this is this is something that i've i've, I've worked on quite a bit as, as a as a coach as well um coming from a somatic perspective and what's interesting to me about this idea of sensation is how often are we noticing the sensations that our body is is having how often are we noticing if we're hot or we're cold or if we just got a chill or if um, we have a squeezy feeling in our stomach when something you know a topic is discussed you know like what how often are we noticing the the sensation and the and the information that that's giving us um, from the body about what's really happening for us and I'm curious is that what you mean when you talk about um, sense that the somatic awareness really is about attuning to sensation? Yeah, so I don't know if that was a rhetorical question. How often are we noticing this or or not a rhetorical question? If it's not rhetorical, my suggestion would be that we actually don't notice it very much. And and then we notice it when it's particularly intense, like we go outside and it's 90 degrees and the sun's in our eyes and it's uncomfortable. And then we use that information to adjust. But uh, but I suggest that most of the information that's available in our body all the time, because that information is always available, we miss. It's below our threshold of awareness. Um, and that with practice, we, begin, we can begin to notice more and more and more. We begin to notice what was there all the time. It was simply crowded out 
by the top-down chatter of our busy monkey mind, our uh, sort of incessant um, responding to internally and externally generated requests about what to do next. Um, and that when we begin to pay attention to more subtle sensations than the really obvious ones like um, pain and heat and cold, they become, they do two things. One, they're an invaluable and rich source of experience, or a valuable and rich source of information in our direct experience that, that has us more informed about what's going on in ourselves. And then secondly, the act of tuning into those sensations, in fact, begins to affect or self-regulate the entire nervous system. So the act of looking changes our state. And what we notice when we look is useful information in and of itself. And uh, I don't know how long we have before the next break, but, uh, but I'd like to just offer an exercise that will take maybe a minute and a half or so. We can do it before yeah. or after the break as you wish. Well, you know, let's do it after the break so that we can we can then discuss it, which I, okay. I'm interested to do it and then be able to talk about it. We have about probably 30 seconds to a minute. So I, I want to ask you something else. Um, hopefully this is a brief question, but um, these days there's so much about neuroscience, about our brains and our bodies and our minds and, you know, our emotions and how they all work together. And I just want to sort of put a placeholder on, on, on asking you when we get back from the break after the exercise, if you could help us make sense out of all of this, because I, I think we, we're getting all this new information, but we don't know what to do with it. We don't know mm. how to use it. And, and I, I want to, I want to try this exercise and then maybe we can talk about how, how to be, how, what it means. So we'll take a break right now. Um, my guest today is Doug Silsby. We're having a conversation that I've been really looking forward to, and I'm delighted we're having it today, Doug. We're talking about presence and presence-based leadership. Um, we're going to take a break, and when we come back, we'll continue. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Do you need directions to solid financial future? If so, the Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman will provide you with a roadmap to making smart money decisions in every area of your personal finances. Join Jordan every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, 3 p.m. Eastern for the Money Answer Show on the Voice America Business Channel. Learn how and where to get the best deals on mortgages, cars, and insurance. Find out the best ways to save for college and retirement. Get out of debt, improve your credit rating, and save on your taxes. The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman will provide you with great tips on investment opportunities in real estate, stocks, annuities, and other investment vehicles. That's the Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman on the Voice America Business Channel every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Do you want to take your organization to the next level? The Nebo Company develops leaders, teams, and organizations to achieve their highest potential. We provide executive and team coaching, leadership courses, mentor programs, and retreats tailored to the unique goals of your organization's leaders. With national reach, Nebo specializes in helping senior leaders to articulate a compelling vision, then develop the strategy, goals, and accountabilities that make the vision real. For more information, visit NeboCompany.com. Be sure to ask about our leadership and life curriculum. Again, that's NeboCompany.com. 
Is your business model robust enough? In today's ever-changing business environment, people are working to transform themselves, their futures, and their business. Tune in to Business Reinvention with your host, Nancy Lynn. To stay ahead of the game in business, you have to constantly reinvent yourself and your organization. With Nancy's experience and that of her guest experts, you'll learn from stories of inspiration, innovation, and forward thinking. Listen for Business Reinvention, live every Monday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time, on the Voice America Business Channel. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Visionary Leader Extraordinary Life with host Kate Ebner. We'd love to hear from you. Pick up your phone and call into 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. If you'd rather send an email, please send it to visionaryleader at nebocompany.com. Now, back to today's program. This is Kate. I'm talking with Doug Silsby today, and we're having a conversation about presence and how what a what a resource, what a reserve it really is for you when you learn more about it and how to do it. Um, Doug is is um, the author of Presence Based Coaching and the Mindful Coach. These are wonderful books, um, great resources for anyone interested in more on this topic. And you know, I want to invite those of you listening to go to the Nebo Company website and sign up for our e newsletter so that you can also read the follow up article about Doug and about his work. Um, Doug, right before the break, you promised, and I accepted that we would be doing an exercise. <laughs> so uh, why don't we go ahead and do that? I'm really, really looking forward to it. Okay, great. And I don't, I don't want to lose the thread of the conversation about neuroscience and why it matters. So let's, uh, let's come back to that. We can do that after the exercise. Okay. Um, so before the exercise, I want to simply offer this, uh, this metaphor. So... Um, As you're sitting in the room listening to the radio, wherever you are, at this very moment, there are radio waves from lots of other stations that are in and around you. They're literally physically moving through your body, moving through the air around you. There are also um, uh, TV stations and Internet signals and cell phone calls and microwaves and all kinds of other things that are in the space around and in you. Now, you're a human, a human body, and so you can't detect those. But if you were a radio, you could turn the dial and um, you could tune in 88.1 and hear National Public Radio, or you could tune in uh, uh, 99.7 and hear heavy metal and so forth and so on. The point is the information is already there. We just need the right device to pull it in. So... How that's useful as a metaphor for consciousness and awareness is that there's also, we can think of these different channels of information that are available in us, in our nervous system all the time also. And so cognition is one channel, and emotional is a channel, and our relational is a channel. And we can talk about uh, several other channels here. Uh, This draws upon the work of uh, Dan Siegel also in uh, in Shock Wheel of Awareness. So so the, the practice is simply to recognize the channel to which we most frequently tend to attune, which is cognitive, to acknowledge it, and then to use 
our executive control of attention, what we call our executive control of attention, which is actually a functionality built into the nervous system to attune to, to pull in a different channel and then simply to notice what happens there. So wherever you're sitting here, simply notice what's in the visual field around you. So you might not notice that if you're at your desk that there are papers and emails that are pulling at your attention, or you might notice uh, light and movement outside the window. And just allow yourself, uh, your eyes to close and aware that those pulls of those requests are still there and that you can choose actually not to respond to them, to not give them any energy, and simply close your eyes. You're, you're actually disconnecting some input into your nervous system here. And now, um, I invite you to bring your attention to your feet, to the physical sensation of your feet pressing down against the floor, whether or not they're inside shoes. You might feel some pressure. There might be warmth. But there's a, a pressing down. If you're in a chair, there's a pressing down into your seat. Simply allow your sensation to be with that pressure. Notice, uh, find two places on your body where the temperature is somewhat different. One place that's a little warmer, one place that's a little cooler, and just notice the difference in that sensation. For me, my shoulders are a little warmer and the backs of my arms, which are exposed to the air moving from the fan, are a little bit cooler. No need to do anything with that, but simply sense the difference in temperature. And uh, now just check in with the state of your nervous system. And if we were doing this in a different format, if we were sitting in a room together and I were to ask a few of you to report out, what people would generally say doing this is they would report things like, well, I feel more alert. I feel more settled. I feel uh, more relaxed but um, attentive. I feel more available. And so simply notice what it is for you, whether it's one of those things or something else, and whatever it is is okay. And so we uh, conclude the practice, and uh, you can open your eyes again. And uh, coming back to you, Kate, so one, one of the things that this reveals is that the act of choosing to pay attention to sensation reveals both specific information about things like the pressure or the temperature. It reveals specific information in the body, and it also uh, affects the nervous system as a whole. We actually become more self-regulating. We become um, generally more resourceful, more aware, more alert, more settled, less reactive. And that with practice, we can actually, in seconds, affect our nervous system in those ways. And the implications of that are, are, are profound. The implications of that for leaders are profound. So um, I had, for example, a uh, um, uh, coaching client that uh, worked in nuclear power operations, and uh, he was one of the people who was involved in the response to the Fukushima uh, Daiichi catastrophe about a year and a half ago. And he was working with this kind of a practice 
um, to cultivate his capacity to be choiceful in meetings as a specific leadership competency. Um, and after we've been working together for a while, he actually found himself in the situation room at three in the morning in the United States, talking to executives at uh, Tokyo Electric and um, Japan who are managing this unfolding catastrophe. And he was able to stay more calm and resourceful because of that practice. And his capacity to stay calm and resourceful was actually really helpful to the Tokyo Electric executives because his nervous system became a resource for their nervous system. So, so what I want to say here is that our capacity to choose what we pay attention to and our capacity to actually um, gain some mastery and, uh, and the capacity to self-regulate our nervous system become really critical leadership competencies. And um, they're, they're actually very simple things that we can all learn. It simply takes time and practice to, uh, to develop mastery around them. So... so. Well, that was very interesting. I did the exercise as you were, as you were guiding us through it and, um, found it to be hard, actually. Once I closed my eyes, I kept seeing the image I had been looking at. Mm. <laughs> I, re- I realized I was hanging on to it, actually. I mm. had to, I had to let myself let go of, um, whatever the thought was that was with that image when I, when I followed. In other words, it took a little while to, actually get into my body and 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 I appreciated the tour that you took us on you know that was very helpful and 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 I also Doug appreciate that when you described the executive you just told us the story um, you said you know this practice that he's working on and I, I like that language a lot because I think people used to think this kind of awareness was sort of touchy feely or out there or something like that but it isn't. It's it's actually a practice, a mindfulness practice. When we when we are practicing, we're actually working on building our capacity. And I think it's useful to to notice that the vocabulary of a leader who really wants to expand um, his or her awareness and and capacity by being mindful is that this is a practice, and that this is the work of leadership. This isn't something that's you know kind of kind of out there. Um, and, and I, and I just wanted to say that for our listeners because, um, there's, there's so much uh, that's important about what we just did. It was so simple, but it was so important. Okay. And then my last little, my last little nugget here from what you said is you said that when he was able to maintain his inner calm in the face of a very stressful situation, Others around him were able to, you said, you said, use the words tap into his nervous system, which mm-hmm. is to say that that calm was, ex- was an accessible resource for other people. Is that what you yeah. mean? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, there's, so there's a process uh, called biological co-regulation where um, nervous systems tend to entrain with each other. And it's, it's not a guarantee that the more calm nervous system will um, regulate the more activated or the more um, anxious nervous system. There's no guarantee. It really depends on which nervous system is more stable. So if we... Uh, if if we learn to do something like this and we've practiced it twice and then we're um, in a room with a really wound up nervous 
person, the chances are pretty good their nervous system is going to trump ours. And yet mm-hmm. over time, you know, over time, if we really engage in a practice where, and, uh, you know, what we did a couple minutes ago was just I really wanted to make a point um, that we begin to be able to affect our whole nervous system through how we pay attention. So it's just a, really, a, really a little taste. Um, but when we take on a practice like that and we do it consistently over time, we build um, a long-term memory. We transfer the body, the physiology translates that into long-term men- memory. So it in fact becomes a default state that we move to or reside in very, very easily. It's like a home that we come back to. And that's the place from which um, we can take a stand at a meeting for a point of view we care deeply about. Or uh, when somebody gets really angry with us, that we can stay really calm and settled and defuse a really dicey situation. Mm-hmm. So it isn't, yeah, it isn't about, um, it could be, but in a leadership application, it's not about accessing a delicious, pleasant state. It's about being more effective and more resourceful in the middle of whatever it is we're in the middle of. I love it. Well, we're going to have to take another break, Doug. When we come back, I want to I want to let that point land. And when we come back, we'll talk about you know neuroscience, uh, presence, somatics, and why it all matters. Um, how do you how to use it? We'll be right back. Yeah. comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Do you want to take your organization to the next level? The Nebo Company develops leaders, teams, and organizations to achieve their highest potential. We provide executive and team coaching, leadership courses, mentor programs, and retreats tailored to the unique goals of your organization's leaders. With national reach, Nebo specializes in helping senior leaders to articulate a compelling vision, then develop the strategy, goals, and accountabilities that make the vision real. For more information, visit NeboCompany.com. Be sure to ask about our leadership and life curriculum. Again, that's NeboCompany.com. Business owners, do you run your business or does your business run you? Put yourself on the road to success by tuning in to Success Unchained with hosts Anthony and Julie McGloin. At last, discover how to overcome your biggest challenges, take control of your business, and achieve the results you've always dreamed of. Find out how with our resident master business coach and world-class guest experts. Transform the nine key areas of your business and unchain your true potential. Tune in Mondays at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Business. What does conscious leadership mean to you? It unites organizations instead of dividing them. By exploring commonly-based business challenges, it guarantees an increase in your bottom line. Tune in to Minding Our Business, Creating a Spiritual Economy with your host, Nadine Rogers. Each week, we'll hear from business leaders and learn from their strategies. We'll talk about personal and organizational best practices that you can learn from, and we'll hear from you. Minding Our Business airs live Mondays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Business. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You're listening.
listening to Visionary Leader Extraordinary Life with host Kate Ebner. We'd love to hear from you. Pick up your phone and call into 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. If you'd rather send an email, please send it to visionaryleader at nebocompany.com. Now, back to today's program. Welcome back once again. This is Kate Ebner. I'm talking with Doug Silsby, who's giving us some really wonderful and helpful distinctions about presence as a capacity of leadership. And and uh, I think, Doug, you've really made this accessible to us. Um, before the break, we talked uh, briefly, and you, you kind of landed on the point that the reason to, to, to learn to do this, the reason to do this is because it increases your ability to be effective as a leader. And I want to leap from there, if I may, to the question we were kind of turning around a little bit, but haven't yet discussed, which is um, how do we, what do we need to know and what do we need to understand and do in the face of all this new information coming in about our bodies, our brains, um, about our 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 worlds it, it it's it can be overwhelming and i'm wondering what do what do people really need to know yeah well i actually don't think we need to know anything um and this this comes from i have phd physicists in my family as far as the eye can see so empiricism runs deep in my veins um and i'm a, a practitioner and uh, an experienced junkie and um, so when, I, when this neuroscience stuff started becoming uh, popular a few years ago, there was a part of me that said, well, Buddhists figured out that this stuff worked sitting in caves 2,500 years ago. Why do we have to know the difference between the angular singular cortex and the hippocampus? So, so I actually don't think it, it, we, if we know how, uh, if we know that it works, we don't know, uh, we don't need to know how it works. In other words, so, so I actually don't think we need to know a lot about uh, uh, brain anatomy and neuroscience. That said, um, one, I think it's fascinating. Two, I think we are coming to understand. I think we're at the early stages of coming to understand really how the human being learns and then can therefore can unlearn and new, learn new things. So I think it's going to change from a pragmatic standpoint, the fields of psychology and education and coaching and leadership development and organizational development, because we're, we're learning how the organism learns, which is fascinating. Um, third, from an experiential standpoint, knowing that this thought, these words that I'm speaking right now are arising from my body, are generated by a nervous system, allows me or invites me to pay attention in a different way. I become more aware of the miracle that I am. And uh, so there's a shift in awareness that comes with an appreciation of just how inconceivably complex this, the processes are that we're dancing around on the, on the surface of. And then um, I think one more thing that... Uh, that I am really loving talking about, and this could be a whole conversation in and of itself. But what, what I want to say is that the first time in 13.8 billion years of evolution in, in this universe, as far as we know, we as a species are learning to actually um, 
plan the trajectory of our own evolution. And I don't mean our just our evolution as a human being who is now capable of declaring a vision for the future and embodying that that vision in a physiologically supported way, although that is true. But also the evolution of the species and of uh, really of intelligent life on Earth. And this is a big, big frame on this, but um, there's this whole notion of biocultural evolution that we create cultural innovations that then become embodied and that get passed on through various processes to the next generation. So we actually are literally shaping the physiological evolution of our species and, oh, by the way, the physiological evolution of other species on Earth. So the, the, the stakes on this are really high. And, and the experiment that we're engaged in, um, we've never seen before. It's, it's never happened in the, at least the branch of evolution that led to us. Now, maybe it's happened other places in the universe we don't know about yet. So I, I think uh, at a micro level, we engage in um, individual practices and our own awareness. At a, at a medium level, we engage in behaviors that affect the people around us and our teams and in our organizations and our systems and our society. And on a really big macro level, we're actually learning how to um, begin to be the authors of an evolutionary story that previously we have only been subjects in. Wow. I'm thinking I've had, I have so many, so many responses to what you've just said, ranging from thinking about, you know, the, the futuristic movies from the seventies where like the, the being is like a, a head in a big glass thing and there's no need for a body anymore to, to right. you know, to thinking of, about, um, this strange, experience of, of perhaps living and being while simultaneously watching ourselves living and being and evolving. And yeah. um, that's really, you know... That's, and precisely, that's precisely what we're doing, isn't it? It seems like it. And so if we can see that, of course, being human beings, we're going to try to shape it. We're going we're, we're to try to influence it or control it, I'm guessing. So, so, how, so how timely it seems to be for us to develop spiritually and to develop mm-hmm. um, across the four dimensions of mind, body, spirit, and emotion so that we have the maturity and the, the uh, I guess, the, the ethics and, and the understanding of the value of not just our lives, but the community of life as we make these evolutions. Um, and, and, and saying that, I'm fully aware, as I just said that, that we're really not in charge. <laughs> There's something happening charge. here that we aren't in control of, and that's part of yeah, you know, we're, we're not in charge and we are responsible that the, the uh, we're not, not responsible for the entirety of it, obviously, but we're responsible for the choices we make and we're responsible for what we allow ourselves to be aware of because it's, it's easier to focus on our email and our immediate priorities and the things that we have made important than to see the bigger picture that we're operating from. And, um, I think when we, when we really that we are authors of this evolutionary story and that what we do makes a difference. We, we all leave a legacy. We all pass on to our children and our grandchildren and our direct reports and our coaching clients and our coaches. We all pass something on to the people that we touch in our lives. And um, those things matter. Yes. You know, Doug, we're going to have to end our hour here. And I want to say thank you for joining me for this conversation. I hope it's the first of many um, oh, it's been most wonderful. lovely to talk with you. 
Well, I've enjoyed every every second of it. And, you know, for those of you listening, please do go to our website, nebocompany.com, sign up for our newsletter, and that way we can connect you not only with the article we plan to write about your thoughts, Doug, but also the, the link to the book you've written, the books you've written, and to this podcast. So um, thank you so much for being with us each day, and we'll continue this conversation. Take care. That's great. Thank you, Kate. We sincerely hope you've enjoyed hearing from leaders who are using vision to create an inspiring future. Please join host Kate Ebner for another edition of Visionary Leader Extraordinary Life next Monday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Business Channel. Meanwhile, visit www.nebocompany.com for more tips on bringing your own vision to life.